Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining me on this special podcast episode regarding romance scams. My name is Alan McGill, and I'm a senior supervisory special agent with the Pennsylvania Office of Attorney General, currently assigned to our Office of Public Engagement. On this episode, we're going to be discussing the financial and emotional impact these crimes can have on us, our friends, and those we care about. I'll be joined by one of our senior civil investigators, Kelly Bell, who has been involved in some of these cases. You'll get to hear some real case stories reported to our office by people who have lost money and suffered heartache at the hands of these criminals. Stay tuned after my discussion with Kelly for some additional tips and suggestions on how to protect yourself and how you can help those you care about. Romance scams are nothing new. Emails, text messaging, and social media created bigger platforms for scammers to apply their craft. Unsuspecting victims seeking friendship, companionship, or love became easier to reach and viable targets. The FTC, or Federal Trade Commission, states that for the past three years, people have reported losing more money to romance scams than any other type of fraud. Let me repeat that. For the past three years, people have lost more money to romance scams than any other type of fraud. In 2020, the year of the pandemic, reported losses from romance scams alone reached a record high of $304 million, a 50% increase from 2019. People reported this often starts on dating apps, but even more report being targeted on social media. Many were not looking for love, but rather the scam began as a friend request or a follow request. And many of these reports indicate payments are being made using gift cards or sending money utilizing wire transfers. Some mailed gift cards while others provided the PIN numbers. And every age group is affected. An increase was shown from 20 to 29-year-olds, although 40 to 69-year-olds still being the most affected. And these cases are tough to investigate and even more challenging to prosecute. So I sat down with Kelly Bell, Senior Civil Investigator with our office, to discuss some of these cases that she has seen over the years, including a recent case. And while the average individual loss was around $2,500, this woman lost a whopping $300,000 to a romance scam. Thank you, Kelly, for sitting with me today to have this conversation about romance scams. Oh, thanks for inviting me. It's an honor to be here. If you could just tell everybody a little bit about your background and, and how long you've been with the office and that sort of thing. Well, I started with the office as a legal assistant, and after about a year or so, I was promoted to an investigator, an agent, and recently a senior civil investigator. In all, I've been with the office for 14 years. What I wanted to talk to you about today was the topic is romance scams, because we've seen a lot of cases here at the Attorney General's office, and I wanted to have someone to discuss some of this with uh, folks that are listening so they can get a better handle on what it is, and then maybe just how to help not only themselves, but any family members or friends that might be going through this as well. You and I were talking actually uh, earlier this morning here uh, in the office, and we were talking about uh, one of the recent cases that that you had. Maybe you could describe that because I thought that was an interesting case. Okay. Probably last year in the early stages of COVID uh, in 2020, I was assigned a complaint from a consumer who had been communicating with a gentleman who was in the military. 
And he was stationed over in Afghanistan. He had been in Turkey. He had been all over the place. And during the time that they had been communicating, probably six months or so prior to that, she had paid over $300,000 to this guy by way of wire transfers and gift cards and personal check transactions. How long? Probably, probably with it over six months or so. Was there any um, big uh, lump sum amounts that she was giving him, like at one time or particular time? Do you remember any of that? I think the largest transaction I saw and what she provided was probably twenty five thousand. A-, a lot of it was smaller increments, like maybe ten thousand dollars. Not that that's a small amount, but uh, no huge, you know, transactions like fifty, seventy five thousand dollars or anything of that nature. So the the total amount winds up being a little over three hundred thousand, and it was just sort of smaller drips and drabs that he's asking her for. What was some of the things that he was asking her for in order to prompt her to give $10,000? Well, so he had told her that he was stuck overseas. You know, he was in the military and uh, different stories where he had been evicted from his place of where he was living and that he needed help with rent and that the military was behind on paying him. So he was reaching out to her. There were other instances where he was being held hostage and she was getting emails from his his captors. Another situation when he asked for more money was that he had been injured and he was being held in the hospital and they wouldn't treat him unless she paid, that the treatment wasn't free. Was there any indication as to how much time elapsed from the time she had been talking with this gentleman to the time he first asked for money? I believe it was probably, it was a relatively short period of time. I, I want to say two months or so. And what was the the first, tran- if you remember, what was the first transaction? Was it a money order? Was it a gift card? Uh, how did it wire transfer? How did that go? I believe it was gift cards. And, and the interesting part was they were Nordstrom, Stream, American Express gift cards. At some points, he actually had her send photos of herself holding her driver's license. And what was the purpose of that? I honestly, I I think it was an identity theft scam also, because on her driver's license, all of her information would be right there. So, and then, you know, verification of her holding this. And this, this happened several times that he had her send those photos. How old was she? She's probably about 50, 55. She's, she's pretty young. So she, yeah, she's not a senior. No. And was this something, uh, do you know, did she actually fall in love with this gentleman? Was this a romance or was this a friendship? No, they actually referred to each other as a uh, fiance when she first contacted us and that she needed to get him home so that they could get married. He needed to get back to the United States. And another thing to keep in mind also is it, it's not men and women both fall for it. it. It's not one versus the other, you know, being more prominent as falling victim. It's it's pretty even. In her case, for example, she had filed a complaint with our office? Yes. And about how long after, uh, or what made her decide to file a complaint? You know, oddly, she said that although she believed everything to be true, it was she was a little bit suspicious. And at one point during our conversations, I asked her if she had spoken to anybody else about it, because a lot of times people are hesitant to talk to their family members or anybody. And she said that she had actually spoken with her daughter, and her daughter told her, this is all very shady. You need to stop communicating with these people. And she continued to do it. Well, you say these people. 
So, but she sees it as a singular person, right? Yes. But we know that a lot of times these are teams or this is, um, is there any indication as to what type of group this might have been or who was involved with this? No, that's hard to say. We, the Bureau of Consumer Protection doesn't necessarily have the resources to try and identify who is really behind it. I say they because she would forward me emails that she was getting from various other law enforcement agencies. There was an email that she sent that came from the USA Embassy, but the email address was USA Embassy, and it was spelled incorrectly, and it came from at freemail.hu. If the U.S. Embassy is going to send you an email, they're going to have a government email address. There was another one that she received, she sent to me, that came from Interpol at gmail.com. Interpol is not going to have a Gmail account. They're going to have something that's, you know, obviously more government-based. So, and then there's text messages and other communications that made it seem as if there was definitely more than one person involved with this. I remember earlier on you had said that another individual had contacted her about kidnapping. So clearly there's a team working. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got your bag, you know, you've got your main bad guy who's the scam artist, who's the romance scammer, and then you've got, you know, his cohorts pretending to be kidnappers to, mm-hmm. to get more money out of her. Do you have any indication from her like what her education level was? I think she's college level. I, I think she's she's rather intelligent. How long did it take for her to finally come forward? Well, as I said, she, she'd she been communicating with this guy, her fiancé, for over six months before she came to us. And I was really surprised for as much as she believes everything to be true, that she even came to us, that, you know, that she's a little bit, a little bit suspicious. They sent her a lot of photos of her fiancé in different, you know, scenarios. There's, there's pictures of him in a hospital bed, and he's hooked up to IVs. And I've, you know, been on the phone with her and we're both looking at the picture on the on the computer, you know, pointed out to her that if you look closely enough, his head is really disproportionate to the rest of his body. Or he sent her a copy of a driver's license. And when you look at the driver's license, all of the information on it is pretty generic. And then he would send her another driver's license and the information would be different. And I, I pointed this out to her, trying to really convince her that, you know, this this is a scam, that none of this is legitimate. And he comes back with an answer to everything that that's part of his military cover, that he has multiple IDs. So she would communicate with you yes. and you would talk to her about it and point some of these flaws out. And then after you had talked to her and disclosed to her some of these things, she would then go back to him and confront him with these? Yes. Of course, this is something we hear all the time, and we always talk about how it's a bad idea to do this, because now this guy has a chance to convince her otherwise, which he clearly does. This is pretty common for most of these types of scams, aren't they? It is, but this this particular group took it a little bit further. She communicated with them by email somehow that she had been talking to me, and they actually went so far as to send her an email that looked like it was coming from me telling her that I had already talked with an attorney and we had investigated this and everything looked legitimate and that it was okay to go ahead and send more money. So they hijacked your your name, I guess, from our office and created their own email account to, to pretend it was you. Yes. Instead of using K Bell at Attorney General, they changed it to Kelly B at gov.com com something like that they yeah and they they were communicating with her pretending to be me did that cause her to pause at all no she didn't seem to and how did how did she relay that to you well it was funny because i asked her i said how do they know 
that we're talking and her response was, I don't know. And I don't know if at that point she was sort of embarrassed that because I had already cautioned her to please stop communicating with these people. I mean, they're telling her that if she doesn't send more money, that they're going to kill her fiance and then it's on her. And she she still believed that it was all true. Do you have any indication that she's ceased at this point to speak with them? No, actually, as recent as this week, I've heard from her again that she is still communicating with them. He has sent new driver's license number that I looked up and a new social security number, and they're they're not affiliated with anybody with a name close to what his is. And her reasoning is that she's trying to recoup some of her money and she's trying to track them down. And I, I just responded and I said, please, I said, this information's false once again. Please stop communicating with them. There, there's very little that we can do. Has she, do you know if she's talked to them by phone? Has she had any live conversations or has this all been electronic communication? There are a couple audio recordings that she has sent me. So somehow she has communicated with them by phone. Was she on any social media accounts with this, with this group or was it strictly by email and text messaging? I believe it was all email and text message. There, there were some questions that I asked her she was hesitant to answer. We do have to be careful sometimes as to, you know, we, we can't, I shouldn't say we can't, but, you know, as the, the people who are trying to help these victims, you know, when they come to us, it's, I have always tried to be very reassuring. And that's why I say, please, you know, don't, don't be embarrassed. Don't be so hard on yourself. You know, they, they know what they're doing. They could convince you of anything and, what we need to do here is figure out how to best help you out of this situation. You know, what can we, we recover, um, you know, block emails, block telephone numbers, you know, cut off all communications with these people. But we, we need to be the support that they're not getting from someplace else and, and the shoulder. And as many times as I've wanted to say, oh, my goodness, how did you possibly believe this? I also have to take a step back and say, you know what? I've been doing this job for so long. One, I don't trust anybody. And two, I can easily detect this stuff. But at the same time, these scammers are getting so much better at it. There's still a chance that I could fall victim to it too and not realize it. Did she send, other than the photograph, you had mentioned she had sent a, you know, the photograph of herself holding her driver's license. Did she send any other photographs? Did she admit to sending any others? No, the only ones that she provided were ones of herself holding her driver's license. And like I said, that happened multiple times. What would be the reason that, um, that she gave for multiple times? Did she talk about that? It had something to do with her verifying the request for wire transfer. Uh, do you ever hear from the folks that say, I, I know better than to send gift cards, but they do it anyway? Absolutely. All the time. And, and, how, and what is their reasoning when they talk? You know, it's funny because I've heard a lot of people say, I just kind of got under a spell. And and I knew this was wrong and I, I knew that it was suspicious, but I just couldn't help myself because they asked me to do it. And it's it, it's sort of a, these scammers, especially when they're ones who get you on the phone, they make you seem like, Time is of the essence, and there's such an urgency that these things have to be done. And I really do think that, for lack of a better way to put it, they, they fall, the consumers fall under, the victims fall under a spell. Once you, you give them money the first time, they, they know they got you, and they're, they're not going to stop. They're going to be very persistent. It's so hard to get people to, to just break off contact because everybody wants to confront that person. And I think they want closure from it, too. They want to hear, okay, I'm a scam. You're right. You're friends. I, you know, I, I beat you out of $300,000, but 
yeah, I'm not real. Well, no one's going to say that. No. Because they want more. And, and people really should try to resist the urge to outsmart them and try to find them. It, it's it's not worth it in the end. You're, it's just more stress for yourself. Just block the emails, block whatever it is you have, whatever line of communication, and walk away from it. It's hard, but that's in the end, that's going to be the best thing to do. Yeah, and, and realistically, it could be dangerous as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, because some of these groups are transnational organized crime groups that are highly organized, highly skilled, and they're doing the other crimes too. They're human trafficking, weapons trafficking, nar- narco trafficking, stealing goods and merchandise, and some of them have members here in the United States. And sometimes they get aggressive too. I, I've had, and, and you may have encountered this as well, that when you do cut off ties and communication with them, They'll call a local pizza shop and have pizzas delivered to your home. And and you have to pay for them. It's not above some of them to actually call a local police department and ask them to do a wellness check on somebody because they've stopped communicating with them. So, I mean, they, they can take it to a whole new level. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, too, is family members. You yourself just described not being able to convince this woman, but family members have it even harder. I agree. I think a lot of times they're more hesitant to go to their family because the family could respond a lot harsher. The particular consumer we were talking about earlier, she said her daughter told her, you know, stop being so stupid and, you know, was was really unkind to her. At least that was her perception. And, and I can see where, you know, they might be more comfortable going outside of the family and, and talking to somebody who might be a little bit more patient and, and willing to listen yeah, I always tell friends and family, you know, if the goal is to say I told you so or to make them feel worse, then they're probably going to lose more money. Yeah. If your goal is to get them to see what's really going on, then we need to kind of ignore that impulse mm-hmm. to say the I told you so or how could you be so foolish and those sort of things and waste money. Because what you really want is your family member or your friend to understand that this is a scammer and yeah. that this is somebody. Because they, you know, I always thought that this was one of the worst scams that there is. I mean, the family emergency scam is pretty bad too. They're all bad, right? I mean, they're all bad. This one always seems just to be a, just a little bit more because they spend more time with the victim and getting to know the victim in that personal, emotional way. There's. I worked with another agency um, a while back, and there was a an older gentleman who was having a romance with somebody that he thought was a, a young woman. It turned out it was not a young woman. It was actually you know, a group of individuals who were trying to scam him. And unfortunately, he lost a significant amount of money as well. But what was harder with that was they were sending him photos of the Disney princesses and using their names. And he never made, he was adamant up until the very end that this was all legitimate. And even when people tried to show him Snow White, is not real. He he just couldn't believe it. He it was it was probably sadder than than the one we spoke about earlier. This this past year and a half has really put people into a different place of isolation that nobody ever would have thought that they would have been in. And these scammers, they they took advantage of that. And whether it's through social media or just random emails or, you know, whatever means of technology that they're using to to make contact with people, everybody's susceptible to falling victim to it. It, it's, it doesn't make you 
stupid or, you know, I've had people say, you know, I, I'm such an idiot. No, you're not. Don't, don't be so hard on yourself. It, it's, it's important that you reach out to somebody that you can trust to, you know, if you meet somebody and you want to engage with them, if you meet them through, you know, one of the dating forums, keep your communications there because those are monitored. Once you go outside of that forum and you give personal email and telephone number, there's no, there's no monitoring. Is there any other red flags that they should look for in romance scams that come up in that you see in the cases? That that's that's a tough question because a lot of them, like you said, some of these will go on for for months or e- even up to a year before they start asking for money. You know, they're they're very patient because they're potentially out victimizing other people. You know, they're they're running multiple scams at a time, and it's a potentially big payday too. Oh, absolutely. So it's worth the payoff. Well, not only that, but if they get money out of you once, you can guarantee they're going to try again. They're going to keep asking for it, and they're going to up the ante, so to speak, and make the circumstances such that you're afraid to not give them money, that, you know, something terrible is going to happen. They, they may threaten your family and your friends, but it, it's really kind of hard because as long as you're in that pre-financial loss area, you could, you know, if it's somebody who claims that they work, ask them more about their, their workplace, you know, go online separately and, and, and do a little bit of investigation that way, you know, see what you can find out. Try to do a video chat if possible. And even that's not foolproof. I did have a a gentleman probably about a year ago who thought he was communicating with a young lady down in Florida and she sent him a video of herself. It wasn't live, but sent her a video. It wasn't her. It was something, you know, that she had this, the scammer had somebody else create and send pretending. And then they sent a, a fake ID also. So it, he had no reason to believe that it wasn't her. Yeah, you need really need. I think the live video chat of some kind is probably it's not foolproof, like you said, and you certainly don't want to get a recording because that can be uh, faked. But you want to make sure you, you talk to somebody live, and a video chat would be the way to go. Another one is if you're meeting somebody through social media. Sometimes they come out with somebody that you knew way back in the day. Ask questions that that person would only know the answer to. You hate to say. To be suspicious from the onset, but you really kind of need to be. Oh, yeah, I, we, do you remember, you know, back in high school, you know, I was friends with so-and-so. Ask questions that only that person's going to know. Or reach out to those people if you're still in touch with them and see if there's anything you can, you can learn from them. Oh, any other red flags or tips? I would just say right now, this day and age, and it's, it's going to get more difficult Technology is is really not our friends. I mean, with the ability to Photoshop pictures and and TikTok and, you know, everything else that you have to manipulate, it's going to be harder and harder to try and detect flaws. The the only thing that I can I can say is, you know, try to talk talk to your friends and family members, let them know if you're communicating with somebody. That that would I pro- would say probably be the best advice that I can give. And, and the big thing to keep in mind, and this gets down the road after you know they've requested money. Nobody's ever going to ask you to pay something in the form of a gift card because, and it's important to keep in mind also that once the money is removed from those gift cards, we can't get it back. It's it's gone, and that's why they ask for the wire transfers because a lot of them can't be traced, and for the gift cards because the the funds can't be traced. And now we go into a whole new world with the cryptocurrencies. So they they use these formats to ask you for payment because they know that there's no chance of recovery. 
have you ever seen any any recovery at all from any victims ever gotten their money back on romance scams that you can think of? Well, yes. There is, Pennsylvania has a program, it's the Pennsylvania Victim Compensation Assistance Program. And if you you reach out to them, and, and you have to do so within three days or 72 hours of detecting the scam. You know, so even if this has been going on for six months and you just realize that, you know, this is all completely bogus, you can still reach out to them and they will try to help recoup some of the money. They do have a limit. It's up to like $35,000 is, is their limit as to what the maximum they can try to, to help you with. But I have seen some people get back a couple thousand dollars. Well, that's at least hopeful. Yes. And then there's another angle, too, that we didn't discuss that we probably should, and that's the idea that you're willfully giving your money to another person. That's a whole other problem because the banks and credit card companies and even PayPal, other, you know, the, the cash apps, they they have taken a strong position in that if you have authorized the transaction, you consented and you're not a victim. And they are not very willing to help us with recovery. And, of course, the challenge from the prosecutor's side is that you have to prove that it was some sort of scam or fraud and you just didn't willingly give your money to another individual. I, I think it's harder to detect as well because there's such a – I want to say there's more of a psychological aspect to it than the other scams. Yeah, there, there's such a, a more wantonness for it to be real. And that you've met somebody and that you really, you know, the victim develops such an attachment, understandably so, to this person. And I, I think you're less likely to detect anything fake or false about it. You know, they say love is blind. And, and that may really just sort of encompass the entire romance scam. I want to thank Senior Civil Investigator Kelly Bell for that engaging conversation. I hope you found it as interesting as I did and that you learned something from today's discussion with some real-world examples. The simple truth is, preventing these crimes before they happen is the best way to protect yourself and those you care about. Whether it be a friend or family member, these crimes take a financial and emotional toll. Some things you can do to protect yourself and things you can pass on to others. Never mix love and money. Never send money in any form to someone you haven't met in person, be it gift cards, wire transfers, or any other method, even if they send you money first. Talk to someone you trust about new love interests. We miss things our friends and family may see. Be willing and open to their observations. Slow things down and ask a lot of questions. When things don't make sense, do some investigating on your own. Do reverse image searches on pictures sent to you or in social media profiles. Individuals promising to meet but never do. Never confront the scammer once you know. Break off all contact. Never send explicit images or send inappropriate messages. Once it's digitized, it is there forever. Our public engagement specialists are ready and available to provide more in-depth presentations on romance scams to any group across Pennsylvania. You can speak to our office about booking a presentation by going to our website at www.attorneygeneral.gov.
And if you or someone you know is the victim of a romance scam, please contact our office at 1-833-OAG-4U or go to our website, www.attorneygeneral.gov. For everyone here at the Pennsylvania Office of Attorney General, I'm Agent Alan McGill. Stay healthy and stay safe.